The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Bye. Coming up on the Porous Podcast. Because most people don't do this, what I do. I don't know anyone that does what I do, right? Because neither do I. (laughs) And I'm not knocking it. I understand that, you know, people leave out of corporate and they become consultants, but they still want to, you know, drink from the corporate trough, so to speak. I don't. Mm -hmm. I do not. Mm -hmm. And I made a decision that I was not going to do that. And I am burning the bridge on purpose because I don't want to work for employers. I do not want to work for corporations. I do not want their money. I would rather make less money and help individual people than be helping to perpetuate a system that is harming people on a mass scale, in my opinion. At mass scale and losing lot, losing health. I'm um, no, it's literally when I say harm, um, I'm being literal. When I say harm, I'm, I have clients that have both mental and physical manifestations of the harm that they've experienced. I have have talked to people who have had suicidal ideations because of things that happened at work as well as the stress from their personal life. Because when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with the whole person, not right? Not just what happens at work, but everything. And so when a person is already under pressure in other parts of their life and then they're going into a workplace where they're being bullied and harassed and intimidated, it makes things worse, right? And so when I say harm, I mean harm. I remember my hair falling out. I remember having anxiety attacks. I remember being in the emergency room because I thought I was having a heart attack and I was having an anxiety attack because of my job. These things are actually real things that happen to people. I've had people say their hair was falling out. They were skin was breaking out in hives. I had a client now who's working, you know, she's traveling around the world and having a ball now. Right. Because she got out, got her money and went on about her business. But she was having like her skin was covered in hives when I met her from the workplace she was in, where she was dealing with a person who was bullying her and intimidating her for years. Right. So that when I say harm, I'm literally I'm being literal that people are being harmed. And the sad reality is that. The, the, the federal government in the United States does not have laws against workplace bullying. They have laws that might protect you if the bullying is based on you being discriminated against, right? 
But if you have an employer that just comes in and bullies your entire team every single day, what are you supposed to do? Because you can't say they're discriminating against you necessarily. So what do you do? And this is a reality for a lot of people. What do you do? And it's a reality for people. And it takes a toll on people's emotional well-being, right? So it is harmful for employers to allow these things to happen. And that when people go to HR and complain and ask them to do something about it, they instead turn on the person who's bringing the complaint. That's ridiculous. But yet it happens a lot. Welcome to Poor Ass Podcast, the show that talks about tough shit on a budget, with your host, Veronica Porras. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Poor Ass Podcast, the podcast where we talk about um, living sustainably while on a budget. I'm really excited for today's guest. Uh, I have with me Anne-Marie Archer. She is the anti-HR lady. She is a recovering business, business executive and attorney with over 20 years experience managing and overseeing human resources. Um, she created the Anti-HR Lady and a Black Woman Coach Directory. Um, and she teaches clients on how to leverage HR to benefit their professional career development. She helps clients escape hostile work environments with Hostile Work Environment Escape um, Strategy Program. And she is on a mission to teach employees how to stand up for themselves and know their rights in the workplace and hold HR organizations, and managers accountable when they create and perpetuate hostile, toxic, and discriminatory workplaces. Welcome, Anne. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, Wow. What an introduction. And um, first things first, um, how did it all start? You know, you have 20 years experience and then now you're a consultant doing anti, um, HR, anti HR. Um, I love your, your, your tagline where HR isn't your enemy, but they're not your friend. You are, I love that, uh, tagline. Um, I came, I, I met Anne on LinkedIn. Um, I really like her content and I experienced a similar um, abusive workplace situation. I'm in a new workplace situation now, but um, I came at a time where um, it would have been nice to have an Anne in my corner. However, I did have support. It just came in other ways. But Mm -hmm. um, in connecting with Anne on LinkedIn, I just really feel that these are important topics. I am neurodivergent. I am on the spectrum. I got diagnosed ADHD, but it was during the job. I was getting evaluated while I was in this um, abusive workplace um, situation and um, wanted Anne to be on the podcast to talk about this work. And, you know, is there hope for the employee? Um, So, Anne, tell me a little bit about your your story. So a little bit about me is um, I am an attorney. I am also a former HR executive. I worked 
in operations and oversight of human resources for 20 plus years. Um, And in the context of doing that, I experienced, I'm a black woman, I experienced over and over um, environments that I found to be not just hostile and toxic, but also discriminatory, several of which I left by negotiating exits with separations, with severance, i.e. money. And I also worked in environments where I witnessed uh, toxic work environments, where I saw it being perpetuated against other people um, and in many cases had to intervene, which is sometimes why I ended up being pushed out of places, because I always felt that HR was supposed to function in a way that helped employees. And I found over and over again working in HR, but that, that that's not the way it worked. And that, in fact, as an HR person, if you wanted to advocate for employees, it could come at a price to you as a professional, as well as to the employee who was bringing the problem. And so after I left um, my last employment situation, I decided that rather than going to work at another company, that I was just going to start my own consulting business. I also left the United States and moved to Mexico, which is where I live. And I decided that I would start a consulting business and that I was very clear in my mind that I was only going to work with employees, that I did not want to work with employers. I don't want to do strategic plans and DEI programs that aren't going to do anything in the end to change anything, that I wanted to do things that were actually going to make a difference um, for people and to give them options to take their lives in other directions if that if that's what they wanted to do. Because what I recognize is HR fundamentally does not exist to protect employees. It exists to protect the institution. Protecting anything else is incidental to that. And most employees believe it's the opposite. It's very clear because when I went into HR, that's what I thought too. I wanted to do HR because I thought that's what it was for. But I learned very quickly that that's not what it was for. And so it's very it's very clear to me that the average person doesn't really understand what the function of human resources is and also doesn't understand what their rights are in the workplace. And so I decided to create a consulting practice that was employee focused, that would educate employees about their rights and also help people who are being subjected to discrimination, hostility, uh, workplace bullying and other things that happen to people at work or combination of those things to, to put themselves in the driver's seat and learn how to stand up for themselves. So one of the parts of my practice, which is kind of a niche is that I help people uh, walk away from discriminatory hostile work environments, usually with separations, with severance. Um, I consult and advise my uh, clients about how to negotiate, identify, document, negotiate their way out of these kinds of work, and work environments on their own um, without having to you know, file a lawsuit, because when they come to me, that's usually not what they're interested in. Um, but in some cases, if they need to file a lawsuit, I will connect them with an attorney as well, um, because my fundamental interest is in ensuring that people get their needs met. And a lot of times it's needs that HR, they go to HR and they can't get an answer about something. Sometimes it's not even discrimination. It's like, how do I get promoted? Or I got a bad evaluation and I don't know how to respond to it. Right. And they go to HR and they don't get, they get this vague answer and they're not getting what they need. So I help my clients with pretty much any HR problem, but the primary problem that people come to me with is 
I think I'm being discriminated against at work or this thing is happening to me and I'm not sure it's okay. It feels like it's not okay, but I went to HR and they told me that there was no there there, right? Or I went to HR and I complained about something that my manager said or did, and now I'm on a performance improvement plan. Or I went to HR and I think I told them about something my manager did, and now um, my manager wrote me up for coming in late to work or something like that, right? And when I went to HR, they said that they, they couldn't do anything for me. So I help employees understand what their rights are, understand how to respond when these kinds of things happen and how to hold their employers accountable if they're doing something that's not right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I was on a PIP. I've been, there's a little back backdrop. I've, I've been on like a, a accounting professional for over, over 20 years. I've never in my whole professional life, never been on a performance improvement plan. Um, this last job that I had was the very first time I was ever on a performance improvement plan. And, um, being a ADHD and being on the spectrum didn't, didn't help the situation. I, I had a friend who was a VP in finance and we're really close friends. And I told him what was going on and he gave me the truth, like what PIPs are for. It, they're, they're not about improving you. They're about getting rid of you. And I just didn't understand the context because I'm, I, as, as part of my, not part, but just like how my autism how I, how I see the world and process, I take things literally. So if you say to me, we're going to put you on, you know, improvement plan, I'm thinking like, that's what you're going to do, but it was anything, but it's awesome. You're (laughs) going to help me get better. So that is very true. HR loves to put people on PIPs in order to track them to termination. And I'm going to explain why. Um, And it's performance improvement plan or PIP, right? And they will tell you that they are putting you on this to help you improve your performance and that if you're successful, then, you know, you'll go back to your regular job and you come off. I would say probably 90% of the people that go on a PIP end up out the door, right? But they will frame it. And even whether you're on the spectrum or not, people believe it because they believe HR is there to help them. So when they're told that, they think, oh, I must be doing something wrong and they want to help me be better. So they're putting me on this PIP. No, they're doing that because especially when you raise an issue that brings into focus the possibility that they might be violating the ADA, for example, the Americans with Disability Act, or that they might be, you know, violating the Civil Rights Act, right? Or an EEO um, provision, In order to create a narrative that, no, the reason that we fired this person wasn't because of those things, they need to make it about your performance. So they quickly shift into how can we put this person on a PIP so that when we get rid of them, we can frame this as that it was performance related and not about the fact that they asked for for accommodations two weeks ago or yesterday or that they came in here and said, I think you're, you're, I'm being discriminated against because of my gender or my race or, or my, you know, another, what we call protected class, right? So that is the reason why 
they are quick to pull out the PIP. And so it's important for employees to understand that before you go to human resources to ask about anything, right, you need to have your ducks in a row. You have to have a strategy. You have to be clear about what the outcomes are. You have to be clear about what the variables are, which means what could happen when you go and you have to have a plan for how you're going to address it if they pull one of these things, right? And most people don't even know that the, one of these things is going to come up. So how are they going to plan for those eventualities that they don't, that they can't even think of? And HR people know this. They know the average employee doesn't know their rights. The average employee doesn't even read their employee handbook, which is one of the things I always tell people. Read your handbook, guilty, right? Guilty, guilty. They don't start looking at those things until the shit has already hit the fan, proverbial fan, right? And so yeah, yeah. because of that, you're at a disadvantage, And so there is something I always say, um, if you follow me, which is that the most, you know, the the average HR, there's nothing more dangerous to an inept HR department than an educated employee. Stay dangerous. You need to be the person that they're going to be afraid of when you come in there and say something, because the manner in which you say it is going to make it clear to them that they're dealing with a person who knows what their rights are. And the average person doesn't know that. And they know it when you walk through the door. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's like you have to be your own lawyer um, a a little bit. So do you you find that true? You definitely have to be your own advocate. Yeah, you definitely, I wouldn't say you have to be your own lawyer because you don't have to know the law chapter and verse, right? But you have to have an idea of what your general rights are, right? Like, for example, there are laws in the United States, and I'm speaking specifically about the United States. And before I talk about this, I'm going to be very clear. I'm not giving legal advice here. This is my opinion, right? If you think you're being subjected to discrimination at work, you need to consult with an attorney. That being said, I'm saying what I'm saying based on the fact that I've worked in HR for 20, almost 25 years and I do have a law degree and I am licensed to practice law. But there are laws in the United States that protect certain groups of people because they have been historically discriminated against. It includes uh, people based on you know race, ethnic minorities, women, uh, LGBTQ community in some jurisdictions, right? Um, and in some cases, the federal law might protect you, but the state, because the state states also have certain EEO um, practice, uh, laws, some states. Right. And they have. So there's the federal laws and then there's also the state. But there are classes called protected classes, which are basically race, ethnicity, religion, gender, uh, sexual orientation, age, disability, Right. And disability includes not just physical disabilities that you can see, but also disabilities you might not be able to see. And there's also laws that protect women when they're pregnant. Right. So that being said, when your employer is doing something or your manager is doing something that could allow you to bring a claim right around any or multiple of those classes, That's why when you come into HR and you say this happened or I asked for accommodations and my manager said no or something like that, or they're treating me differently since I asked, they immediately get with the manager and they will always tell you, oh, we're not going to talk to the manager. Nine times out of 10, that's a lie too. And then they start figuring out 
what to do about you. So you bring a problem to them that you want them to solve, but in many cases, you become the problem. And they circle the wagons around the manager, not you. Because what we have to also understand as employees, our managers are agents of an organization. So when a manager does something wrong, the organization is doing something wrong. And so that is why there is a tendency to circle the wagon around the manager because the organization doesn't want to take responsibility for wrongdoing. And it's HR's responsibility to help the organization protect itself from liability. So that's why these things happen and they're very predictable. They're very predictable if you understand how HR functions. So if you're, um, this is something I, I learned from, because um, you, you do have a YouTube channel and you do have a video on uh, on PIP that I really liked. And mm-hmm. I learned something. I did not know mm-hmm. that you could formally petition, not petition, but um, disagree, like, you know, HR and your manager come at you with a PIP and, you know, there's a meeting and, and like, here's the plan and you could um, say, I don't agree with this. I did not know that was a choice or a possibility. Um, what does that look like? Well, you can, you can, you can say you do not agree with it. And it doesn't mean they won't still put you on okay. it, right? It doesn't mean you say, I don't agree with this. And they're like, okay, we change our mind. But it is important for you as an employee to register your concerns. If someone's trying to put you on a PIP, HR is trying to put you on a PIP or manager is trying to put you on a PIP, and you don't believe the grounds for that PIP are mm-hmm. right, if you believe there are no grounds for you to be put on a PIP, you have a responsibility to say so and to say so not only verbally but in mm-hmm. writing and to say why, Right. And you have every right to do that. And they may not agree, but you have a right to say, I don't agree with this. And this is the reason why. Right. And if you believe that they're doing it out of retaliation, you have a right to say that as well. Right. But most most employees don't know that. So they won't. But I don't recommend doing that if there are other things that you haven't done as well. But you definitely have a right to say, I don't agree with it, and to say why. And to ask that it be put in your personnel file that you don't agree, right? Because the PIP is going in your file, Mm -hmm. right? So it is very important to say so, to not just think that you have to just quietly go along with it if you don't agree with it. Because here's the thing, they're tracking to fire you anyway, so what do you have to lose? Right, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, it's document. You have to. You, that is critical. And and one of the things I tell people all the time, and I said this in a YouTube video, I'm sure you've seen it, is documentation is the number one thing that employees should be doing that they don't do, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not talking about documentation when things are going wrong. I'm talking about documentation from the day that you are hired and employed into an organization. You should be keeping notes of your employment environment. So that means you should be keeping records around every one-to-one you have with your manager. What was discussed? What did they say? Were there any comments about performance? Mm -hmm. Especially Mm -hmm. every meeting you have about your performance, you should have be writing down a note to file about it. And anytime your performance is brought into question, 
you must you must raise your concerns both verbally and in writing and document it. You should never let anything go into your employee file that is negative about you that does not have a response from yeah. you. Yeah. I that's really important for I'm just reflecting on my own case and and um I mean I and can I say one more thing about documentation? Because it's, it's a subject very close to my heart. One of the reasons why documentation is so important from early on, and it's not to make you paranoid and it's just, it's to your benefit. It's also a great reflective thing. Like when you have to write a self-evaluation, it'll be a whole lot easier if you were documenting your, your, your environment the whole year. Cause you could then talk about the things that you did, the projects that, that you did successfully, what your accomplishments were, all of those things. But it also allows you to clearly see when problems arise. Right? So for example, you've come into an organization, you've been working, doing your job well, you find out that you are on the spectrum in some way, or you get diagnosed, you know, with autism or ADHD, and your doctor recommends that you ask for certain um, accommodations because you've been having trouble keeping up with certain things at work and you've noticed it and you talk to your doctors about it. So you come into the office and you talk to your supervisor and you ask your supervisor, tell your supervisor, you know, at the recommendation of my doctor, I'd like to request some accommodations to help me um, keep track of my work assignments better and you, you know, articulate what you need and then also send it in writing. And then you notice and you write a note in yourself in your journal, as you always do about the meeting and you make sure you keep a copy of the email that you wrote to your manager after you had the one-to-one meeting with them. And then you notice a week after that, your manager sends an email criticizing something that you submitted, saying that there's grammar issues with Mm -hmm. it. And this has never happened before, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then a week after that, your manager criticizes something you did in a meeting with your peers and you've never experienced that, right? It'll be much easier for you to pinpoint the change in the relationship with your manager if you'd been documenting all along, right? That you could see up until I had this conversation, I was doing a great job. Nothing was ever raised about anything I did at work. But as soon as I asked for accommodations, all of a sudden, all of these different things started coming yeah. up. Yeah. Right. And you don't have to rely on your memory because you've been keeping records all the time. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why keeping documentation is so critical. Double that, especially, I mean, not I mean, um, I'm on the spectrum. I have ADHD. Uh, my memory, when something I I do notice that when something happens um, and I I need to document it right then and there. Otherwise the details will fade. So I have detailed documentation of, you know, we're coming up a year since I first got hired in the, no, it's been a year. It would been like a little over a year I got. And the last job I was, I was um, hired October, 2021. Um, started experiencing trouble understanding the job. It was a brand new industry, totally different from, from accounting. I was having trouble keeping up. I've always suspected that I was on the spectrum, but I've never had insurance to, to do the evaluation. And I finally have insurance to like to get some answers 
And then I noticed the change. So, and my performance was fine up until February. Like February is when I revealed to my manager, my upper manager, I'm like, I need help. I need to get like evaluated. And there were other employees there who were also on the spectrum. I started a Slack channel, private Slack channel for employees who were also on the spectrum and they got support and from their managers. And I would just document it. Like so-and-so has support from their manager. So-and-so has support from their uh, manager. And, um, and I could get into details, but that was like the type of documentation that I was doing and then talking to other managers. Um, other managers did not manage how my manager was managing their team. It was completely different. So it wasn't just, just me. Um, how, and I was getting gaslighted. That was like a real mind fuck to put the part in my French, the no, gaslighting. That's, exactly, but that's literally the whole point of it. That's literally what it is. And what's even worse about the gaslighting that often happens is that it comes from HR, not just the manager. Exactly. That they will make you feel like, Oh, there's nothing to see here. And Oh, you're blowing this out of portion. And Oh, does it really, is it real? Are you sure that it's really this? And what I often say to people is, it's, it's your lived experience, and if it feels like that to you, then that's what it is. And they don't get to tell you that it's something else. But that's what they actively seek to do, to get you to say that it's something else or to get you to stop saying what is happening to you. And it is, it is it, that it really has a significant um, deleterious impact on people. And it's lasting. It doesn't go away after you leave the employer because they, they make you doubt what you know. Mm -hmm. And that's very harmful. Yeah. I, for me, my mistake was um, recognizing the red flags when when it happens. Um, I know it happens a, lo uh, a lot. I, I've talked to other people on the spectrum and recognizing the social cues or, or the relational dy dynamic of what things should be, but what it really is. Like that's, that's my difficulty and that could do me a disservice when reporting discriminatory behaviors like to, to HR. So. Um, you take what they say at face value, I'm sure you, yeah, you, know, you took what they were telling you at face value and you didn't question it because HR is supposed to look out for you. So yeah. why would you question? And they may tell you, oh, we're going to look into this. Right. Yeah. And we're gonna, you're going to help you resolve it. And then they come and say the way that we're going to help you is to put you on a PIP. That's not help. That That is not that is not help. That's not help. But that's what they do. And it, and, and it makes it harder, especially if you're a person on the spectrum, because as you say, you fake things literally. So you take what mm -hmm. they say at face value and your expectation is if they say they're going to help you, that they're going to help. So if they say they're going to mm -hmm. put you on a PIP, that must mean that's going to be helpful. But it's not because yeah. it's intended for you to fail the PIP. That's what it's intended to do. And just allow them to document that so that they now have grounds to terminate you. Mm hmm. I, I ended up developing my own performance dashboard on Excel. So every time like my manager would say a certain performance percentage, I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. My dashboard says something else. How did you get your number? So I couldn't prove her wrong, but I couldn't prove her right either. It was just adding another question to her narrative and she wasn't able to dispute it 
correctly. I was still let go. But the thing is that she didn't have to dispute it because the burden of proof was not on her. And so one thing I always tell people when someone comes to me and they tell me that they either have been presented with a PIP or they're on a PIP, I'm like, if you're going to hire me, you have to hire me right now, today. Because if you're on a PIP, you're halfway out the door and you don't even realize it. And so you have to act pretty quickly because they're creating a narrative in order to give them safety when they wrongfully terminate you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, being on that PIP was really stressful. I remember mm-hmm. crying a lot. I was, it was, it was basically me surviving, doing my best every, every day, but, but, and accepting and talking to my, my VP finance friend who has put people on PIP. So he was giving me the inside and, and daily accepting this is the reality that I the reality in. was that you were going to get fired. And that's yeah. hard because then you're waiting to figure out when it's going to happen. And mm-hmm. you feel like you're in a no-win situation because you are. Right? Be- yeah. Because once you understand that, the thing is most times people don't even understand it till it's too late. Right? You yeah. had someone explain it to you, but you you didn't have someone that was able to tell you how to react to it in a way that was going to be in your interest instead of theirs. Right. But you at least had someone to tell you they're not really doing this to help you. A lot of people don't realize that till they get called in and told that their, their last day is today. And that's really mm. devastating. Mm. Yeah. Right? Because they, up until then they really think they're supposed to, they're doing this to help me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that part, is devastating. In my case, I did end up getting severance. I didn't. I didn't negotiate it. They went ahead and gave me gave me severance. Um, I, I was let go on July twenty eighth of this year, and then they continued paying me until mid mid August. So Do you know why um, they gave you severance? Do you understand why they gave you severance? Uh, I don't know. I'm going to explain now to you why they gave you severance. They gave you severance because they knew they were wrongfully terminating you and they needed you to sign an agreement where you waived all of your rights to sue them. Mm -hmm. Anytime an employer presents you with severance, it's because they understand that they have liability exposure of some kind. It may be small. It may be large. You're never going to know because they're never going to tell you. But if they present you with a severance agreement, you must negotiate because there's more money where that came from. But in order to do that, you have to understand what it is that they're doing wrong and what their potential exposure is. And that's what I help my clients with. Understanding mm. from an HR perspective, why an employer might present you with separation and severance. Because if they are not doing a mass layoff, why are they giving you a severance agreement? Oh. Because they need to buy their liability back from you. But they'll buy it back as cheap as they possibly can if you let them. Hmm. I did not sign anything. Does that make a difference? Are you sure? No, I didn't sign any signature or whatnot. They just gave they gave me so they, they gave me a letter. You? They kept what paying the letter. Well, I don't want to get into the details of that. Oh yeah, because I have to see the letter. <laughs> yeah. And I have to write. yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah. You don't no no yeah. need to get into the details. Yes, I'm surprised that they gave you severance and didn't have you sign anything. 
Yeah, that's I'm what very happened. surprised to, to hear that that you didn't sign anything and they gave you severance. No, no signature Even if you're of what saying they kept you on the payroll for two months. Technically, that might not be considered severance because they mm. may have had your last day be after you stopped being paid. But I would have to know the details because all of these things are very, very specific to the situation itself, which I don't have mm-hmm. all the details on, and yeah, I haven't seen yeah. what they gave you. Yeah. Wow. But I always tell people, if you are presented with a separation agreement, which is usually what an employer requires that you sign in order to give you money Mm -hmm. to leave, Mm -hmm. Mm. you must not sign it without getting advice, either from an attorney or someone like me. Good. Because if you're asking you to sign something in exchange for a payment as they push you out the door, it means that they know they have exposure of some kind. And they want you to sign something that waives your right to sue them. Now, if they decided to let you go, but to allow you to stay on the payroll for a certain amount of time and they didn't make you sign anything, that surprises me. Yeah, that's what happened to me. I didn't sign anything. They just kept me on the payroll. That's good. Then you preserved preserved your rights, which is good. Oh, phew. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> see i mean i'm learning something if every, that, if, every if, day if, if that's true then that means you you didn't sign anything then you have you have you preserved your rights oh but my that's god that surprised me very very much that they didn't make you sign wow. anything and they kept paying you yeah my uh, the the company that i was working for okay lesson Another lesson, uh, do the glass door research on your company. I didn't oh, yes, do that please. with <laughs> with my because I just I've read I a lot of posts about that too. Yeah, <laughs> please do, please do, please do read, please do. Follow Anne Marie. Her content, her YouTube content, her LinkedIn, like fire. I usually don't follow people, but Anne Marie and a couple of other like you know. Like, um, okay, there, there, I do follow some DEI um, people, but Anne-Marie is the anti-HR lady. Like, this is why I am following you, because it's like, you know, how about this as a topic? Dispelling the propaganda, like decades of HR propaganda. And it is decades in the making. It's not accidental that people believe that, HR is there for them. I mean, they call themselves the people department sometimes, right? They literally say that they're there for the people. It's BS. And and they're not there for the people. The people are incidental to what they're there for, right? Now, I always say the best run HR departments are the ones that understand that by treating people well and fairly, you can protect yourself from liability a lot better if you do that. Than if you try to treat people crap like crap and then back up into it later, right? But most HR departments do the latter and not the former. But they say all the nice things and they have the fancy little videos that you show they show you in in um when in the recruitment, not the recruitment, well, sometimes recruitment, and in the new hire meeting and all those things, but that's not their primary purpose. Their primary purpose is to protect the company. So when something goes awry, They're not going to look out for you. You have to look out for yourself. And to do that, you have to be an educated employee. So that's why I do what I do, because it's very clear to me that the average person does not understand that. 
They really have drank the, you know, they drank the tea and they believe it. And why wouldn't you? I mean, it's you, you, of course you believe it. I believed it, right? Of course you believe it because you've been socialized to believe that. As soon as you go into the workforce, that's what you hear. And people are like, something happens. I'm going to HR. For what? Right? But that's what you're told that that's where you're supposed to go when you have a problem. But basically, when you go to HR and you don't have a plan and you go tell them and you tell them or oh, show them all, the, like this one woman told me they asked her to give, <laughs> share their, her documentation with them. And I was like, Jesus, don't do that. Right? But it, it, she's thinking that they're, they want it so that they can help her. Right? Because they're talking to her as if they're trying to help her. Right. So she thinks and I'm like, no, they want to know what you have. They want to know how much trouble they're in. Right. Because they got to deal with you now and they got to figure out just how much of a problem you're going to be. Right. Don't give them anything until you're ready to present it the way you need to present it to get what you need from them. But just don't go in there half cocked, giving them all your information because they're going to use it against you. Right. But she thought, of course they want it so that they can help me. Right? And if she hadn't talked to me, she probably would have turned it all over to them. Yeah. Or give them copy. I mean, I don't, don't know. I mean, anything. I. Uh uh-uh. uh. Here's really? the thing. Like, no. Not even for proof? No, no. There are other oh. ways to present your proof without giving them what you have. Right? Without really? giving them what you have. So here's the thing. HR is a responsibility to investigate claims of discrimination in the workplace, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Claims that, especially actions that might violate the law, they have a responsibility to investigate, right? They don't need mm-hmm. your help. They have access to your computers. This is 2022. They don't need your help to investigate anything. They have access. Oh. They don't need you. If they want to get to the bottom of something, believe me, they can. I have done investigations and they don't take that long. They can go talk to the people that they need to talk to. You don't need to give them a thing and giving them what you have does not serve you. So you shouldn't, I would tell someone never do that. Now you can present your concerns in an effective way, which is what I help my clients do. Right. And, and be very clear about what your expectations are when you present your concerns But you don't need to give them anything or tell them everything that you know either. You tell them what is necessary to get them to take you seriously. But you don't need to give them your documentation for anything. They need to investigate. That's their responsibility, not yours. Oh, that was me taking it literally. Hear that spectrum, friends? Do not. It's like showing your cards. It's like showing your cards. And you shouldn't do that. So I would oh, say, because one thing wow. I, I will say, I've had a couple clients who are neurodivergent and they have been some of the best clients I have because they document like a boss. My last client, she, <laughs> we do. She, I, I loved her. She's amazing. And she, when I say she came to me and she had her documentation, she documented like a boss. All right. So we were we went in and we put her stuff together and she was out of there with her coin within three weeks. But she didn't know how to present what she had. 
That's what she didn't know. She didn't know how to take what she had and do something with it. And she came to me, but I was like, we're going to get this done because you got all your stuff. And most people who come to me, they don't have anything or they might have some things, but they haven't put things together in the way that I need them to. So I have to help them do that. I have to do that with her. She had her stuff together, together, right? (laughs) So that's one of the things that is a gift, right? That you have to use. But the other thing is she also like struggled with the reality that there were things that were said to her that weren't true. Like that was really hard for her to take. And because she believed what she was told. She believed when people said things that they meant it, but they didn't. Right. And that's a really it's, it's hard when you when you're not neurodivergent. It's really hard when you are because, you know, my son has ADHD and he's also a person who's very literal and, and very black and white in his thinking. And I have to always be like, but that's not the way someone might mean something, even though they should be honest. People are not always honest. Right. People don't always have your best interests at heart, even when they say they do, especially HR. Right. So sometimes they will good cop, bad cop you. Sometimes they will just good cop you. Sometimes they will bad cop you. Right. It depends on the person. But you have to understand at the end of the day, the objective is always to protect the institution. Always remember that. Always remember that. So you've got to have the knowledge to protect yourself. And that's why I do what I do. That's why I started the anti HR HR lady, because it was very clear to me that people don't have that information. So they don't know how to do it. Because most people don't do this. What I do. I don't know anyone that does what I do. Right. Because neither do I, (laughs) and I'm not knocking it. I understand that, you know, people leave out of corporate and they become consultants, but they still want to, you know, drink from the corporate trough, so to speak. I don't, Mm-hmm. I do not. Mm-hmm. And I made a decision that I was not going to do that. And I am burning the bridge on purpose because I don't want to work for employers. I do not want to work for corporations. I do not want their money. I would rather make less money and help individual people than be helping to perpetuate a system that is harming people on a mass scale, in my opinion. It mass scale and losing lot losing health. I'm um, no. It's literally when the, I say harm, uh, I'm being literal. When I say harm, I'm I have clients that have both mental and physical manifestations of the harm that they've experienced. I have have talked to people who have had suicidal ideations because of things that happened at work, as well as distress from their personal life. Because when you're dealing with people, you're dealing with the whole person. Not right. Not just what happens at work, but everything. And so when a person is already under pressure in other parts of their life and then they're going into a workplace where they're being bullied and harassed and intimidated, it makes things worse. Right. And so when I say harm, I mean harm. I remember my hair falling out. I remember having anxiety attacks. I remember being in the emergency room because I thought I was having a heart attack and I was having an anxiety attack because of my job. These things are actually real things that happen to people. I've had people say their hair was falling out. They were skin was breaking out in hives. I had a client now who's working, you know, traveling around the world and having a ball now. 
right? Because she got out, got her money and went on about her business. But she was having like her skin was covered in hives when I met her from the workplace she was in where she was dealing with a person who was bullying her and intimidating her for years. Right. So that when I say harm, I'm literally I'm being literal that people are being harmed. And the sad reality is that the, the, the federal government in the United States does not have laws against workplace bullying. They have laws that might protect you if the bullying is based on you being discriminated against, right? But if you have an employer that just comes in and bullies your entire team every single day, what are you supposed to do? Because you can't say they're discriminating against you necessarily. So what do you do? And this is a reality for a lot of people. What do you do? And it's a reality for people. And it takes a toll on people's emotional well-being, right? So is it is harmful for employers to allow these things to happen and that when people go to HR and complain and ask them to do something about it, they instead turn on the person who's bringing the complaint. That's ridiculous. But yet it happens a lot. So in fact, these systems are harming people on a mass scale. It's not hyperbole to say that. And there have been many studies lately, you know, people are writing articles about the specific harm that black women experience in these workplaces. And it's not hyperbole. It's true. It's true. And why are black women leaving the workplace? I'm like, why would you stay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, um, so like, shocking. I'm yeah, shocked. At 11, black women are leaving the workplaces and not coming back. Like, why haven't they been leaving sooner? Yeah. Right. But after COVID, no. when people got to stay home for almost two years. A lot of people, not everyone, but a lot of people. It gave you time to really see a lot of things the way that they are. And so when you want to ask people to come back into that stuff every day, they don't want to. Ooh, it's, it's, it's a battle. It's a battle. It's like class warfare at at its finest. It's horrible. I, the for, things that happen to me, people, the things that people say, say to me. Of every, I work from home. It's the best thing ever. And now we know we can do it. You can't tell people they can't work from mm-hmm. home after they work from home for almost two years. Right? Yeah. And you still, you made, still money. made money. The companies still yeah, made so money. Like, what do you mean everybody's <laughs> got to come back and come back into the same work environments? People don't want to come back. And, yeah. and and how can you not understand why that would be? Because you haven't done anything to fix the work environments. I mean, it was hard working from home. It was better, but it was still, I still had to deal with the same people. But at least I didn't have to look at them every minute of the day, right? Or deal with them every minute because they were at least coming into my office every minute. But you still had to deal with, you know, the passive aggressive, toxic in emails and the teams meetings and all these things. You still had to do it, but at least you could do it from the comfort of your home. And then you want people to come back and they don't want to. They don't want to because you haven't solved any of the things that made them not want to come back. I, I don't know how I would... As stressful as I was in this last workplace situation, I w- I've never met this woman, my my manager. I've only met her online. I was 100% remote work, work from home. And I was in the position for, for nine months and it was still like stressful. And I've talked to past employees who have left because of my manager who has done similar behaviors mm-hmm. to other team members who have left because of her. And they had to deal with her in person mm-hmm. 
And I was like, oh my God, that would have been double the nightmare for, for me, but I only had to deal with it online. I think it does make the documentation easier because everything, everything's yeah. on my computer. But Everything. what you just said, what you just there said, it is, the record. It raises a very important point that I want people to recognize is when people are behaving in this way, it's not because the organization doesn't know. It's because the organization has decided that that person is more valuable than you. Because if she's doing it to other people, she did it to you, she's doing it to other people, and yet she's still there, they have made a conscious decision that she is yeah. more valuable than the people that they're letting leave because of her, her, her mistreatment. And there has to be accountability for that kind of thing. But if no one is willing to stand up for themselves or doesn't know how, then the person just gets to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens at a lot of places. The organization makes a decision that that person's more important to you because they like how they run the department. They like the results they're getting and they don't care how they're getting it or they bring in a lot of money because it always, you know, capitalism yeah. always wins in America. Mm-hmm. So if a person is bringing in lots of money, mm-hmm. they don't care about you. Right. So when you come to complain about yeah. the gold, the, you know, the, 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 the golden goose, who do you think is going to be the problem? The abusive yeah, the golden, abusive goose. golden yeah. goose. And these, I mean, these are things that happen. I've seen them happen over and over in my career where I saw people come in. I remember working in an organization where there was a particular um, vice president who was known, I mean, he was known for how abusive he was and how abusive his his department was and how he treated employees. And Mm -hmm. everyone would talk about the number of payouts the organization had made to people to to leave quietly. But he retired from there. Why? Because he ran the department that was responsible for 80% of their revenue. And he ran it well. He ran people into the ground in order to do it, but they were getting their money. And so they made a decision that he was more important. Right? They made, and this is a very well-known organization that claims to care about humans. But they made a decision that he was more Mm. important. And he got Mm. to retire the other people while lots of people left because the environment that he was creating. Yeah. That sucks. I however, however, I mean, like what's the light at the end of the tunnel? Like here are these clients that come to you, they get their payouts, but you know, as we said as you said before, like workplace trauma doesn't go away. And how can the like what does healing look like? How do you transfer the rage, the resentment, the anger, the hurt into something that's productive? Because I this I did read your LinkedIn post. I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad you asked that because that is something I'm actually going to be talking about in my first blog post of 2023. And I'm doing a conversation with a clinical psychologist to talk about that very subject. And I will announce more about it on LinkedIn because it's something I've been thinking a lot about because of the work that I'm doing with people um, that I always tell, you know, I've said this to many, a couple of clients, I can help you get the money from them, but I can't help you get over what they did. I am not a um, therapist. I am not 
a coach. I am a consultant and I can give you advice and money can't make, isn't going to heal this. No amount of money that you get is going to make you feel better about what they did. But what money does do is give you options and give you access to be able to get the help that you need. So I really recommend that people go to therapy, get a coach. One of the great things about having money is that it can give you the opportunity to take a breath and think about what you really want to do with your life. That's what it did for me, right? Then you get an opportunity to think like, do I really want to go back into the workforce or might I want to start my own business or might I want to do something else in another field completely? Do I want to go get a certification so I can do something else, right? That's what it allows you to do. That's why it matters. But you also need to be intentional about your own healing, right? And so that you're not carrying this thing into the next thing whatever the next thing is that you have to be very intentional about working on healing what happened to you, acknowledging that it hurts and figuring out how to get past it. One of the things that I did was I turned my experience into a business model because I wanted to help other people not have to deal with some of the things that I've dealt with. Um, But also it's very important to have someone to talk to about, what happened, whether you, if you're religious and you won't go talk to your pastor, do that. If you want to go to therapy, do that. If you want some help in figuring out what's next, get a coach. Or I say do all three if you need, if needs be. But it's very important to you to acknowledge that you have been traumatized because it is traumatizing. And it's not necessarily that it's ever going to go away completely, but you have to go through a process to live with it. And realize this is an experience. What did you learn from it? How do you move on from it? And one of the other things is be very intentional about the next job, about how you look for the next job, what you do, and what kind of job you accept and what kind of workplace you choose to go into. So that's when you talk about Glassdoor, be doing your homework about companies is your responsibility. When you go into those interviews, have questions and ask them confidently if they don't if they have an attitude that's a red flag right you have a right to ask questions just like they do they're interviewing you and you're interviewing them never be afraid to walk away if it's not something that suits you because the flags are always there one of them and I will tell you right off the bat is if they say anything about we're like a family run like hell Your job is not your family. Your family is your family. The family is the family you choose or the family that you're related to by birth. It's not your job. So when they try to say we're a family, that's a red flag because that usually reflects a place that has no boundaries. Right. So you have to ask questions. But first and foremost, do your homework. There are a lot of sources online. If you go on my blog, I've written something about how you know, to leave feedback after. And I talk about some of the places you should go there. It's not just Glassdoor, there are others. So do your homework carefully. When you see a job opening before you start putting resumes and stuff together, go do your homework and find out what other people have to say who work there or used to work there. Right. And then when you go into interviews, Make sure you have the questions that you want to ask about the things that are important to you. If work-life balance is important to you, don't be afraid to say so. If clear boundaries in the workforce are important to you, don't be afraid to ask questions about that. And pay attention to the answers and the body language. 
not just what they say, especially as a neurodivergent person, pay attention to how a person's body reacts to the question, whether their eyes start darting all over the place, right? Whether they look uncomfortable and have an uncomfortable pause before they answer. All of those things matter and you should pay attention and you might need to cross send them a nice email after the interview and say, after some considered thought, I don't think I'm a good fit for this position. Right. And so having a cushion that will allow you to do those things in a thoughtful way is important. And that's why how you leave an organization matters and whether you make them pay you matters because then you have to take the first job that comes along. That might not be the right thing for you, right? Because those of us who have differences, it's not a matter of when this is going to happen to you. It's not a matter if it's going to happen to you. It's a matter of when and how many times, right? And you can control the how many times, right? By paying attention to some of these things and also doing some of the things that I already talked about, especially documenting your workplace from the first day. Like I I would maybe like listening to you um, documenting the interview process. I, I, I saw a LinkedIn post, I'm not going to say her name, but the person went through five rounds of interviews and they're like, that's insane. We don't know. And I mean, you already have, <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> some of these organizations have turned recruitment processes into the hunger games. But they can only do that because because people are tolerating this nonsense. I remember being recruited for a um, position and they told me that they were going to need me to write an essay about something. I withdrew immediately. I told them, I've been doing what I'm doing for 15 years. It's either you want me or you don't. I'm not writing any essay for anybody. What do I look like? Right? You have to understand who you are and know what your value is. And so... I'm not writing essays and answering questions and coming back for more than if I come back for a second interview better be because I'm a finalist. Who's coming back three and four and five interviews. It's ridiculous. And that should tell you that this is a place that has no boundaries. And that's a red flag. Cause you shouldn't have to jump through all of these hoops for a job. I've done the four rounds. I thought, I thought that's what you do. No, no. No, it's ridiculous. No. And that's the reason because people don't realize there are always we a lot of us always functioning from a place of scarcity. Right. There's always another job. There's always another opportunity and you will find it or it will find you. So don't feel like you have to do these things. You do not because the right employer isn't going to ask you to. And these are things that you can ask them right when they come to you. How many interviews are going to be a part of this recruitment process on average? Please share that with me and make decisions. And, t- and I am like, you have to tell people. Unfortunately, I don't want to or- I, I'm not interested in working in an organization that has that kind of a recruitment process. One of my best interviews was one phone call. He, the person never met me. It was over the phone. He asked me two questions. I, I this was, uh, I was, it was an AP position and I, I've been doing AP for like over 20, 20 years. So I know what they want. I know what they're looking for. And he was asked. 
Is that accounts payable? Yeah, it's accounts payable. Accounts, accounts payable. payable. I oversaw finance for about 10 years, too. Oh, AP, yeah, I've, AP. Actually, I've actually done accounts payable. Oh, okay. I, I love it. I like paying bills. No, I, it. <laughs> I liked it. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, that is finance is not my thing, but I do understand it. Yeah. So he, 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 had, he asked two questions. Two questions. And, and then he was like, can you start on Monday? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That was That's not really how did that, how did that work out? Did it go well or how, it went, how did it Yeah, out? it did it did go well. Um um it, it it was a good it was a good position. Um I was there for like over over a year. I was a contracting. And was, this, well that's either he knew what he was looking for. And that's much better. It's a little odd, I will admit, but it's better than them asking you to come back five times. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I just don't understand. People are writing. If, if they're giving people scenarios, so they're basically stealing their intellectual property by asking them to give them a scenario of how they would fix an actual existing problem that the organization has. And then they don't hire the person, but they keep the information that the person gave them and use it. I just was like, this is craziness. But yeah, but that's what's happening now. It's like the Hunger Games. I'm not being funny. I'm like, I read these things and I'm like, what in the world is going on? So reading Glassdoor and a lot of these things actually will give you insight about how some of these things happen because people talk about it. So it's really important. But I also think not being afraid to ask the questions you want to ask of a recruiter. And if they don't call you back, that's okay. You dodged a massive bullet. And stop thinking of it as a loss, right? And instead, right? Because those are not environments that are going to serve you in the long term. They're not environments that are going to serve any normal human being. So it's like a lot of these places you will find that they're always recruiting because they can't keep anybody. Yeah, there's a reason. Like, oh, a lot of turnover in this particular uh, company. Um, really great stuff. Um, Anne Marie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, where can people find you? You can find me at my website, the anti HR hyphen HR And you can also, um, sign up if you want to talk to me about a specific problem that you're having at work. You can sign up for discovery call on my website. You can also follow me on LinkedIn as S Anne Marie Archer, and you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok as at the anti HR HR lady. Cool. And uh, people find me on YouTube as well. Oh yes. YouTube too. And those links are going to be in the show notes. And if people like this podcast, um, give it a five-star rating. We're on Apple podcasts. Um, Spotify, Anchor, or wherever you get your podcasts. If people want a personal video message for me, I'm also on Cameo. My other um, social media links does get find me on vcomedy.com. Leave leave a review. It does help the pod, and hopefully um, this episode will help the employee who is um, knows what to do or maybe you're in a current um, abusive situation and Marie is, is available to help her information again in the show notes and happy abundant living. And as Anne Marie says, stay dangerous, <laughs> stay <laughs> dangerous. Um, thank you, Anne Marie so much. 
This was really a lot of fun, Veronica. I really appreciate you having me on. Yay. I hope to, um, if you ever want to come back, like open invitation. Mm. Oh, sure. I, I'll come back. You want me to come back? Yeah, I would you love to have you back. Maybe about. we could do like a live Instagram fun thing impromptu. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Fun stuff. You can talk about getting you on your first solo trip. Yeah. Or another one. It's been a while. It's been, <laughs> it's been no, a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I mean, travel, I guess, is back open and people are, people are traveling. So, you know, they're really good flights. A good time to travel is actually right after New Year's and March, like the middle of March, uh, winter shoulder season, I call it. Oh. Um, really, really inexpensive. You can fly almost anywhere yeah. um, inexpensively. So it's a really good time to travel if you want to go somewhere. And of course, fall shoulder season after Labor Day and before Thanksgiving. So yeah. that's usually when I do the bulk of my travel. Um, I usually try to not do as much in the summer because everything's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I live in Mexico now, so there's always really cool places to go here. Yeah. Um, but that's a really good time to go um, take a solo trip is right. January. I'm, I'm getting ready to take a five week trip to Africa. And um, oh, exciting. That's I got a really, really good flight. Got to found a really good deal. Yeah. So it's a good time to travel. The deals are out there and hey, people could use their severance and just go on a trip, decompress, I, heal. People do. Like I just saw, I had a, a former client. She went, she went to like, she came to Mexico. I missed her cause I was out of the country on a trip, but she was here. Then she went to um, Honduras. She went to Guatemala. Then she was in um, Peru. She was in Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know if she's back yet. She was just she she did took off like three or four months and just and just went. So, um, she just took off and it was pretty cool, to like seeing the pictures mm. of places that where she was like now. I feel like the last time I saw a post from her because we're friends on Facebook now. She was in Colombia, but she was she's doing it, yeah. and it just makes me happy because I know what she got out of. So mm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I could talk to you forever, (laughs) but we got to go. We got to end this episode. Um, Thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Very helpful information. Thank you. Um, When is, well, you'll tell me like when it's going to air and all of that kind of stuff. Cause I want to make sure that I, I share it with my platform as well so they know about it yeah. and i have subscribed so i will be listening okay cool thank you your podcast last night actually oh yeah oh, fun. yeah i'll keep you posted um when it's it's live it's before live. okay before. oh one other thing can i share one other thing because i forgot yeah. to share it oh, yeah so so one of the things that i wanted to mention is that if a person is having some of the problems we've talked about at work, then of course I'd like to talk to them. But I know that there are other challenges that employees with neurodivergent differences have at work that might not necessarily result in them having to go to HR. And I know sometimes just be talking to your manager or knowing how to ask for accommodations can really like be a challenge for people. And yeah. so I would like to recommend that, People who, especially those who are on LinkedIn, reach out to Julie Harris. I follow her on LinkedIn. She does a lot of work around neurodivergent employees 
Mm-hmm. And she's a really good person to follow and also a good person to like reach out to if you need support around like navigating your accommodations and like what you figuring out what you need, how to ask for it and things like that. So I wanted to make sure I mentioned that because that is not my expertise. And so my, I, oh. you know, I, I'm most valuable when you've asked for your accommodations and they either tell you you can't have them or they start mm. doing weird stuff. Right. Mm. But sometimes luckily that doesn't happen, but sometimes it's more about knowing how to ask for them right, in a way right. that is a win-win for both you and the manager. Right. As well mm-hmm. as sometimes navigating just the recruitment process and the interview process and all of those things. So I think that's a good person to follow on LinkedIn and also for people to talk to if they need help with those kinds of things. Yeah, I think I'm following her. I'll 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 include her link on the show notes too. Yeah, she's really great. So I would definitely recommend reaching out to her. Julie Harris. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. This right. was fun. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good oh, thank you. Good night. Have a good right. one.